This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Football Breakdown focused on the offense with the man they call Gorley. He calls himself gorgeous. He calls himself. I don't call myself gorgeous. Okay, you call yourself the key. That's not much better, Al. Uh, I'm talking about oh, I think Al. That's a little gorgeous. better. <laughs> former Michigan offensive coordinator uh, and uh, offensive coordinator at several stops, a wealth of information and perspective. Uh, and, uh, you know, he knows a thing or two. He knows a thing or two, you know, about other things, things other than football, like writing books. Because he did write a book. Does fancy himself an author now. Absolutely. I think you're, I'm going to get a little pipe in one of those hats, you know, that you wear. Those, like, so aren't, I you look like, at it. aren't you like – 40 for 40 and positive reviews on, on Amazon right now. Well, I got 45 star reviews on Amazon. No one not saying that. And I just gave it to kiss of death, but my book is rolling. <laughs> well, Michigan is, is rolling as a team. Uh, as we well know, 10 and 0. Uh, this is unprecedented success in my lifetime. Albert. It's probably not yours when you talk about back-to-back seasons, but mine haven't seen Michigan in back-to-back years be on this kind of roll uh, and looking like they're going to steamroll into the final week of the season undefeated, and I predict the same to be the case for Ohio State. Uh, but as we do when we talk about this team, we we talk about all the positives. Uh, you got to start out a discussion about this team, talking about them being 10-0, but we also highlight the things that they'll need to do to be, I don't know, 14-0. Right. What do they what do they need to do to win uh, to compete for a national championship? So that's kind of where the discussion is, uh, Al. And, you know, kind of want to dive right in and broad brush it first. And just give me your sort of your your takeaways from the Michigan Nebraska game. You were in the press box for that. contest. Well, to build a little bit on what you just said. And you've said this before, because I've heard you say it. The bar's higher. Right. The bar's higher. So uh, based on what they did a year ago, which I thought was great, it is higher. So the expectations of the production week in and week out is going to be greater, right? Um, If you looked at the totality of the football game and assessed it where you thought the – and we'll talk about the bitters and the sweets later, but uh, when you think about the run game, all you think about is pluses, right? I mean, Jim and Christmas, they could run the football, and they've proven that. In every game, and when you consider that they've had to patchwork their offensive line, Sam, oh, I yeah. mean, really? It's amazing what they've done. That's a tribute to their backs, too, and, and to Sharon Moore's ability to coach those guys. But I think another one pluses. But when I think about the passing game, I don't think of pluses. I don't necessarily think of minuses, but it's just not at the level of their run game, knowing that they're not going to throw the ball as much. Hmm. But even though you don't, your numbers should be – about the same or better, you know, simply because you take bigger chunks with your passing game. So I think that's the thing that stands out to me the, the most is that uh, J.J. McCarthy is uh, 
I don't know, eight for 17 for 129 yards. We want, we want to believe as fans and as analysts that he's a better quarterback than that. And I think he's probably going to have to be as he, as we go down to these last few games, uh, something that jumped out to me uh, more than anything. And from, this is from purely an analytical, analytical perspective by crunching numbers and then looking at, you know, how did they attack Michigan? Why were the uh, passing numbers so pedestrian? Well, uh, the first half, what you got from Nebraska, they're a three, four team, very much a three, four team. They're a three, four, they're a three, four front more than they are in anything, but they were mixing their, their, their quarters or cover four with cover one and cover three, cover one being man coverage and cover three being three deep five under, so you were getting a little bit of everything. Uh, but what jumped out at me, Sam, was the second half. The second half. Because when I broke the second half, it was a, a, a complete shift in tactics. Uh, they went to totally, almost totally, not, not totally, but pretty much man-to-man defense. They were in cover one at one point, 12 consecutive snaps of cover one I charted, and I believe 17 in the entire half. Uh, they still had a couple of coverage mixes in there, but it was few and far between. Okay, with that, how do you, what do you, what's the conclusion that you can draw when you make such a drastic change in tactics? And I can only believe that they were convinced that they could cover the Michigan receivers by locking on them man to man, and they could indiscriminately bring people into the box with, you know, several different pressures or just spinning safeties down there to try and stop the run. Now, did they stop the run? Not not really, but they did stop the pass. And that that jumped out at me a little bit because I, as much as teams have played man-to-man on Michigan, that has not been new, but to play it that much and to play it that obviously certainly got my attention. Now, the good news is they ran 13 duo plays, and at times <laughs> it seemed like a, at will. Okay, they right. ran the play, right. changed the look, ran it again, changed the look, ran it again, ran the same look, ran it again, changed the look, ran it. I mean, it was it was a duo clinic and the counter, which we saw come to the surface again last week with their arc counter they ran away. They didn't run that one this week, but they ran 12 counter plays uh, and every variation you can imagine, whether it was an OT, whether it was a CT, whether it was a CH with the H pulling around. I mean, they, they countered, countered. It looked like last year. Really did. It looked like last year, you know. Um, the one thing uh, they – oh, another thing. They did a wonderful job, I thought, of game planning the 3-4 defense again. They knew they were going to see 3-4 defense. They had double insert play, which we're going to tell us straight later on. They had the tackle bluff play, which they had run a year ago. Uh, again, they, they changed all their looks on their duels and their counters. They ran a little quarterback crack sweep to score – a touchdown. I, I really like the way they are scheming that run game week in and week out, giving you kind of the same plays with great camouflage up front. Now, the thing I'll say about that, I think what Michigan's got to consider, and I'm sure they are, is using that same type of variation in their pass game. And by that, uh, camouflaging looks, which they do some of, that's not completely new, but finding ways to free up receivers with stack alignments or whatever, however that you choose to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it. Reducing splits, which is very natural to them, uh, but getting the receivers free more because there was a lack of separation in this game like there had not been near as much in other games. I heard 
some of the fans complaining about no separation, but I didn't find it was as relevant in other games as it was in this one. There were some problems that way. So, and the other thing, I think uh, they threw three play passes in the game. Yeah. They hit three play passes. They yeah. All of them for big chunks, uh, two for touchdowns. Uh, and again, uh, that's something I think with a well as they're running the football would be something probably to emphasize uh, maybe a little more than they've been doing because it's so good to them, you know, and because the, the run game's so good. And the last point I want to make, Sam, is the loss. We didn't talk about this yesterday when we met, but I think the loss of Luke Schoonmacher made a difference. And let me tell you why I think it made a difference. Number one, the tight ends went through some growing. I'm going to talk about this in the, in the bitter. The tight ends went through some growing planes with blocking. And a lot of those kids have not played a ton doing the things they've done, Okay. But uh, Luke provides uh, J.J. with that go-to guy if the receivers aren't necessarily getting free all the time. He's been that guy that can balance out your passing attack and make them guard the middle of the field with shallows, with digs, with wheels, so that the receivers become uh, can get free more often, okay? And give J.J. the confidence that he can hit a guy that's close to the formation Almost any time he felt like it. So his 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 lack, him not being there was felt, in my opinion, more probably after I watched the tape than during the game. Man, Al Borges, that's a, that's. I need to read your book. I mean, that's that was an excellent breakdown you just gave. I no, mean, what you need to do, you need to pay me better. That's what you need to do. <laughs> I mean, good grief, Al. That sounds like I'll give you a free stuff. book. It's a real good stuff. I, I mean, I don't have much interest in, in Auburn, but you make it the way you sound, it makes it sound good. I mean, hell, I'll, I'll even read about Tommy Tuberville, which is saying something. I don't think anything to do with Tommy Tuberville is intelligible. Anything to do with Tommy Tuberville has substance. But your book, I can I concede, must be really good based on the way that you break things down. So you you laid out a lot. Let's go to the run game. Let's start there. 13 duo plays, Al. 13 duo plays. 12 counters. You cannot run the same play that many times in a game against a decent team, a decent defense, a Division I defense, unless there's an element of disguise in there, too. What do I mean? Michigan is clearly elite on the offensive line, even when you take a couple of their pieces out. I mean, think about that. Trente Jones is out of this game. Trevor Keegan is out of this game. They're still able to move the ball effectively on the ground, right? You have elite tailbacks, the best tailback tandem in the country and probably, arguably, in my opinion, definitely the number one tailback in the country in Blake Corn. You can, you'll be successful based on those things alone. But when you throw in the disguise, Al Borges, and this is the thing that I marvel at, and I wonder how you feel about it as a play caller. I think Michigan, how they dress their run plays, their base run plays, is next level. It's NFL stuff. It, it makes me think about the storylines coming out of Baltimore where NFL teams, they were like, man, it's, all they do is run the ball. This was before Lamar really had emerged as a, as a consistent throw game or pass threat, too. And they couldn't stop them. But for the top two or three teams in the league, they couldn't stop Baltimore from running the, running the ball. And you heard coordinators say, 
man, they, they're disguising their run game. They, they give us the same stuff, but it looks different all the time. And I feel like we're seeing the same thing with Michigan right now. Yeah, what Michigan does that most college teams don't do, okay? And this is for all you fans out there that want to be able to differentiate the difference in styles of play. In college football, the whole idea now is to spread the field, right? Spread the field with three wide receivers, four wide receivers, and in some instances, even empty formations, okay? the Most of the teams that you'll see have that as their starting point for offense, okay? Now, Michigan has that. They have some of that. Some of that. I emphasize some of that. That is nothing more than equipment for their offense. But Michigan's game more is NFL Titan, the the formation. Bring people in. Use multiple tight ends. Provide more gaps to defend. Rather than having to defend A gap, B gap, and C gap, which is conventional with every team, right? With Michigan, you have to go, you have to defend D gap and sometimes even E gap because they will put a second wing there. The, the 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 formation reduction is very, very unique to college football. The duo play matches that formation reduction because it's done so much. Guys will say, well, you know, uh, Wisconsin uses two tight ends and Iowa uses two, not like Michigan does. Not like Wisconsin and Michigan. Wisconsin and Iowa are basically stretch teams, power teams that will use their two tight ends in a different way. Michigan will pack their formations in with wings or bunch looks or multiple motions and attack every gap. What are the two things that make their run game so good? You mentioned one, camouflage. Camouflage is huge with their shifts, with their motion, with their wings, with their bunches, and all the variations that come with that. Number two is their ability to consistently get plays started. Now, when you've got a guy like Blake Corn, and you've got a guy like Donovan Edwards, and Stokes even in this game to a degree looked like you could, when you can keep those kids from consistently being hit in the backfield, before they can get their shoulders turned to make people miss, you got something going now. And you look how many times Blake Corm gets the ball and has the freedom to break through the first level of defense without anybody hitting them. So they get play started. They get play started. And part of the reason they get play started is because of the things you were talking about, Sam, because of all those multiple looks that confuse the defense. But they target, and this is this is a tribute to Sharon Moore, I'm just telling you. That guy should be a broil finalist. He doesn't, he coaches those guys where there's very seldom a quick penetrator or a leak that doesn't allow the back to get started. And we've already seen, we've documented and we've watched Blake Corum when he gets the ball and the defense isn't necessarily blocked all to hell, but he gets a chance to see the read. Sometimes it's, it's blocked average, but the play gets started. So those things combined, I think, and and just Blake's ability. We can't ever, ever undersell that. But those things combined make the run game, I think, what it is. Yeah, uh, it just – it's next-level stuff. And so I'm curious. I want you to kind of put you in a position of a play caller with a run game like this, right? Jim kind of talked about it after the game. It's like, man, it's working. (laughs) Like like what what they do – 
no one has really been man enough to stop it. You know, when when Michigan leans into it, not not yet. Anyway, will the day come? Uh, you know, as they get, let's assume for the sake of argument, they get into the playoffs. Is there a team in the country that can slow them down? I don't think anyone can stop them on the ground, my opinion. But is there a team that can slow them down, force them to rely more on their passing game? I think that team's out there, right? But yeah. for now, for now, none of these teams that they've really seen no. can stop them. And so as you, you're – Two new play callers. So there's a play caller dynamic here. So let's remember that. You got two new play callers. They're stepping into a job where the a dominant run game is a given. They inherited a dominant run game. So you know you have that. Their expertise. Not to say that they are they can't scheme the pass. Of course they can scheme the pass, right? So I'm not saying that. But their strengths, their combined strength is run game, right? So Matt Weiss comes in mostly run game guy. Jerome Moore, offensive line, tight end coach, run game guy. Tremendous, tremendous, you know, background in that regard. So you're new at the job. You're working with another guy. You have a dominant run game already. And, oh, by the way, you're breaking in a new quarterback. These are all things that lend themselves to A, the run game being, you know, sort of getting a, a boost quicker or you know, being much farther along. And the other piece is the balance. Like, you know you got to work your pass game play caller. So this is what I want you to talk me through. It's almost like you got to force yourself. And I feel like the last couple of weeks we've kind of seen Michigan force the issue a bit. Hey, we are going to work the downfield pass game. Do you think that's a presumptuous take? Because I, it, it seems intentional. The early down pass, pass play call and the downfield shots, that seems decidedly different the last couple of weeks compared to the few weeks prior. Yeah. Let me tell you something about play calling. Success is intoxicating, okay? If you're chucking the ball over the, all over the lot and they're not defending it, the first thing that comes to your mind is a pass play. Okay, first thing, it's not a run. Uh, And the same thing applies to the run game. When you're running the ball down people's throat, okay, and they're having one hell of a time stopping you, the first thing that comes to mind is usually a run play, okay? And if you're going to pass, you got to almost talk yourself into it sometimes. Well, this is where the – I think the really good play callers are, the guys I've studied over the years that are – is – You've run four straight runs that have that have resulted in four yards or more. What better time than to run a play pass? What better time? Because now you're going to get gross bites from the defense, probably from the back end of the defense, and get a, be able to take a big chunk of yardage. Now, throw that pass and throw it incomplete, okay? After you've run the ball, four straight times for four-plus yards and see what kind of response you get. <laughs> this is what discourages some guys. It's, it never scared me much, but it scares some people. It's, it's, why in the hell would you throw a pass when you've just taken the ball four consecutive times and they've shown little to no resistance? Now, in a four-minute drill, I think you make a case for why would you not continue to run? Absolutely. But if you – what – 
to me, to me, the best time to throw a play action pass or really a pass, any type of pass, but particularly a play action pass is after you've run the ball successfully, because that is when you're going to get your grossest bites. Mm-hmm. Trying to put, run, throw a play action pass when you're not able to run the ball very well could be very challenging because the bites are not near as much. So as a play caller, this was a very long-winded answer to your question, which I specialize in, I think. Yeah, you specialize in long-winded. I know. So do I. I mean, you're you're better yeah. at long-winded. Well, whatever. Uh, you got to talk yourself into it, Sam, sometimes. And that's your question. You got to talk yourself. You got to say, okay, this is the time. I know us sitting in the press box sometimes. I'll be sitting there, and you've sat next to me a couple of times. Go, take a bite, take a bite, take a bite now, take a bite now. And they don't do it. <laughs> and they don't do it. I go, trick them out. And then you maybe they'll say, do it one time when I'm not assuming. You say armchair you know? play caller. You're armchair oh, play caller. Oh, yeah. No, I'm in section. That dog got it right. I'm retired now. I'm always right. It's awesome. But uh, but you got you to talk yourself into it sometimes. Just, hey, this is the time to do it. Ooh. And then and what they've done a good job of. Alejandro, uh, you're right. <laughs> not sure I understand that one. But. Uh, he, says, he basically he says, "Hey, you're you're you elaborate, right?" Yeah, no, I know, I'm going on, but uh, I completely lost my train of thought, thought, and I blame you and Alejandro. So just move on to whatever the hell we were talking about next. All right, so listen, so so kind of talk me through though, Al. Talk me through. They have decided to work on it, right? And and yeah. let me also be clear because people seem to miss the point when I talk about Michigan needing to grow is past game. I, I think you you watch what we do. No one emphasizes the positives of this 10-0 football team more than we do. But you said it earlier, Al. It's about raising the bar, right? Raising the bar, getting beyond last year's plateau, winning a national championship. That's the bar. Now, so what do they need to do to rise to that level? And it just feels like they're going to have to have a better pass game downfield pass game to do that that's what i'm right yeah the one thing i guarantee you what we're saying here in the michigan coaches room is no revelation okay they know exactly where they are and what they have to do and i think uh it starts obviously with the pass game and in particular the downfield type throws which like i say they have all those in their repertoire sam they have them all I mean, we've seen them at one time or another. It just becomes a matter of how much you want to feature them and timing out the calls. Okay, so, you know so I mean? this is what I need you to talk me or talk the people through. Folks, I am going to get your questions in for the man who calls himself the key, so don't don't worry. All right, I'll let him unlock some things for you. You're shaking your head. You name, you nicknamed yourself. Only, only guy I know who's giving himself a nickname. Anyway. <laughs> um, see, now I lost my train of thought, Al. Uh, anyway, some people they, think you never had a train of thought, they, Sam, but go they, ahead. They have not, even with the attempts, they have not been able to lock that in yet. And I, I, I want to, yeah. you know, Devin's contention. And I think there's some, uh, I lend some credence to, to his, his viewpoint on this. Cause he watches the game as close as anyone he's played the position. He said, <laughs> you, you got to rep that in games. That's actually a point that I've been making. Like, you know, repping for them in practice and i'm sure they're working on it but been covering this team for 20 plus years and i've heard the difference 
from many a coach and many a player, the difference between State Street and Main Street, right? It mm -hmm. often doesn't translate. So that's not mm -hmm. a revelation. But it feels like it's more than that. It feels like it's more than the lack of repetition to me. And I'm curious, your perspective as a play caller, what do you attribute their inability to connect downfield up to this point to? What, what are the things that have sort of held them back? Well, I think one of the uh, unwillingness, because I'm talking from my own experience here, because I don't really know that this from them, but sometimes you're unwilling to take those shots because in practice they didn't look very good. So you say, oh, God, geez, we can't beat the scout team. How in the hell are we going to complete these passes against Ohio State? You know, But sometimes that's a little deceiving. Sometimes the scout team isn't giving you the look you want. Maybe they're a little lazy, fall into something, don't buy the play-action passes as much as you want. Sometimes that's a little deceiving. The one thing I learn in games, Sam, the reactions in games are so much more gross than they are in practice, okay? The intensity in games and focus in games is so much more intense than it is in practice. So everything is sped up, okay? So, you, again, I'm going to go back to the same thing in, in this broken record. you got to talk yourself in to calling those in-game shots that you're talking about, practicing and taking those game, those plays into the game and calling them. If you got to script them to convince yourself to say, okay, when we have the first first down on the 40-plus yard line, I'm calling this play come hell or high water. I'm not going to depend on game flow to make the next call. I'm going to script it so this shot is taken at this time on that part of the field. Maybe that's what it takes. I don't know. I mean, I've done that. I've, when, I, when, I, when I wasn't calling the game, when I was becoming too predictable, I would script things to break those rules. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Sam, remember they ran a naked bootleg to their left? It was incomplete, okay? But they ran a naked bootleg to their left. Now, they have not run – one naked bootleg to their left to that point. Why do you suppose they ran that play? Put it on tape. They man. ran that play because all their tendencies told the defense, we only naked right. Okay. Well, somebody scripted and says, we're doing it. It works, it works, it doesn't, doesn't, but we're going to break a tendency. Well, maybe that's what they got to do. Maybe they got to say, okay, we're running these amount of shots twice a quarter. And these are the parts of the field we're going to throw it in. And this is the down and distances we're going to throw it in. Yeah, man, I, I think I think they've talked themselves into that. I mean, very clearly, very intentionally. I mean, back to back shot plays, early down shot shot calls, right? Uh, you know, throwing throwing even against the light box. I mean, they were at, at times inviting Michigan to run the football. It didn't matter. They were they were still taking those throws down the football field. So I think they've talked themselves into we got to work this. All right. So now that they're doing it, though, you know, is it? Is it the guys aren't getting as open, which you said in the Nebraska game, um, and it seemed to be pretty obvious with the way that they're playing Michigan, the guys are having uh, problems getting separation. Is it the quarterback? Is it, or is it the, the, the kinds of pass plays that are being called? I'm asking you all the questions that are coming at me. Do you see any part of that receiving more blame than another? No. I think it's all everything. I think, and it seldom is it only one thing. People want to blame the receivers, but there were some missed throws. There were some protection breakdowns and distorted throws. There were some guys not getting open. It was a combination. I will say this, though. 
That being said, in this game, and I'm going to specify this game because I've heard people talk about other games, this being the case where I didn't think it was. I think in this game, Nebraska covered Michigan better than anybody has. In man-to-man coverage, they did a better job than anybody has. I don't know that that's happened with any consistency. So the answer to your question is it's a combination of things, a combination. So that's a nebulous answer to a lot of people. What is the answer? What is the answer? The answer, Sam, is making it simpler to me. Again, this is me. Making it simpler for the quarterback, simpler for the protection, simpler for the receivers. How is that? That is to clean out all the underneath coverage because they're forced to bite on a run. Okay? Play that clears up the read for the quarterback, frees up the receivers. They don't have to run through buzz defenders, guys that are trying to drop in the zones or whatever. And now the picture gets so much cleaner for the quarterback and for the receiver. Now, you can't do that every play, but you say they've had it. I think they could do it more than they've done it. I think they need to talk themselves into doing it more than they've done it. Oh, so you're talking specifically play action, though. I'm talking – well, that would be the number one. Mm -hmm. The number two would be finding ways, I think, to scheme up freeing your releases on the line of scrimmage with your receivers. Two things jump out at me is stacking receivers with motion or alignment or reducing your splits, which is natural to them. Anyway, they do they do a lot of that anyway. But that's how you get make it tougher for the DB and and easier for the wide receiver or the tight end. Yeah, I mean, it, it is jarring. You look at this game and on play action, they were three for three and they were all big plays. I mean, and they were all wide open, Sam. And they were all they were all wide open. So it does beg the question, and I need you to theorize for me with this on, on this, uh, because I asked Devin the same thing. But you're a play caller, so it's even more applicable to you. Why wouldn't you do it more? Like, what what would be your reason for not doing that more at this juncture? Devin's contention was, I oh, mean, they must just be holding it back. You know, they they know they can do it. And so they're keeping they're keeping some of that under wraps, you know, some of the the emphasis of that under wraps, waiting to unleash to unload it on maybe an unsuspecting opponent, i.e., Ohio State. There might be something to that. There might be something to that. But how do you get good at it if you keep it under wraps all the time and you don't do it under full game conditions? Like I said, the scout team's only going to give you so much, okay? But um but there may that there may be something to that. I'm not going to dispel that as a non-factor. But uh, I think to do it and get good at it, you got to do it. And if one thing they if if they've shown nothing, they've shown creativity in in a lot of areas. And you can redo it in another game and change the look, which they do constantly with their run game and to a degree with their pass game too. That they've they've just they've camouflaged pass looks too. But I just think. You got to do it. Uh, a, a year ago, I charted. I look back at last year just to just to compare, not to say anything better or worse because I don't know that it is. But uh, they played at Maryland. They threw ten play action passes in the Maryland game last year. Last year, last year they threw I think three in this this year. Well, I didn't, they still kicked them, kicked their butt. I mean, I don't, I don't care about any of that. I'm not, I'm not comparing coaching staffs or, or play calling anything. But I just know that there is a tendency on play action, if you're good at it, and I think Michigan is pretty good at it when they do it, uh, to get people open and, and, and get your receivers. The other thing, Sam, I'm going to mention is play pass will also get more run after catch. 
because you have sucking defenders up, taking them out of 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 post reception force, which means catching the ball and being in position to make the tackle. You're less in position, if that makes any sense, to do that. So I think there's that's another advantage. Well, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question because you know folks have asked this one. Hey, well, what's the difference? Some of the, these we saw guys running more open at times last year. They say. Uh, I, I this is my novice opinion, and you tell me if you can co-sign this, and then we'll get to the bitter and the sweet and the grades. I feel like last year, anecdotally, they play past more. I they feel did, like, yeah. you know, I feel like that was a, a, an element in seeing, you know, so many instances of guys running open down the field. All right, that's number one. Flip side of that is this year. You know, a big difference. I think the offensive line is better, and the run game is more potent, and the disguise in the run game is better. So it, it sort of lends itself to maybe a a shift, a greater shift in the emphasis than people were were anticipating. Now, I, I still can't quite explain why play action is, is down as much. I, I, I'm I'm tending to agree with Devin here. I mean, they must just be holding back because you said they see what we see. So if they go three for three on on play on, on paps or play action passes, they must be like, man, we, this is especially with it is how good the how good the run game is. Al, they must know teams mm-hmm. are going to have that gross reaction to it. Well, I can tell you this, okay? If the quarterback reaches out like this right here, okay, and puts the ball right in front of Blake Corum's numbers. There's going to be a team meeting on the ball <laughs> because if they're a defensive team meeting is going to happen when that happens, because if there's not, the result is unbearable. So that understanding that it just becomes a matter of pulling that ball back every so often, let that team meeting develop and seeing what happens behind all those folks. You, this, this guy is like a relative of yours. And Mark Thompson says last year, they also threw at least, at least one flea flicker per game. And they almost always work, obviously, a form of play action. Do you not say that all the time, Al Borges? That's like your that's like a pseudonym for you, right? That's flea like flea flicker. I, What's a flea Sam? What did I tell you a flea flicker is, Sam? A, a play pass on steroids. A play pass on steroids. That's what a flea flicker is. Because there's so much crap going on there, flipping that ball head. The defense is just getting jerked all over the place. And usually somebody on the back end gets out of position. Sometimes grossly out of position, so you can throw. A home run ball, but it's yeah. a it is a, a play action pass on steroids, and I love it. I, yeah. I I would have never guessed you could throw so many flea flickers a year ago and them succeed, well, but they did. So that tells you something. So look, we we say all of this. We just spent twenty minutes talking about the one element of this team because the defense has been. Like you said Sharon should be up for the Royals. Jesse Minner should absolutely be up for the Royals. Oh, jeez, they've done a, yeah, phenomenal job, phenomenal job. What they it gave up 140-something yards uh, total. Deep. What did they get? Uh, 146 yards. Come on now. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I, you're going to say they're not very good on offense, but 146 yards? I'm not going to say that. No. Not when you do it to five teams. No. Not when you hold five teams to three second-half points. I'm, I'm no. sorry. That, that's no. that's no. next-level stuff. It's, and then when you consider what people were saying, a lot of people who are in this chat right now, they're like, ah, oh, the defense going going to be way worse. I I thought they would take a step back. I didn't think they were going to crater like some folks did, but they they haven't even taken a step back numbers wise. 
right now they're they've yet to face Ohio State, and that'll be the ultimate measure. But man, defense is outstanding. Run game is the best in the country, right? Special teams are outstanding. I know they've had some some punt pressure and punt block, but that's the exception, not the rule. The one thing, the one thing that might be the last hurdle is getting that downfield pass element together. And I mean, that's I feel like that is something they can achieve. I look around and I see other top teams, especially the one in this conference, and really good. Ohio State's really good, but they have some work to do too. So it's mm-hmm. not like you know they're sitting they're sitting down there in Columbus and everything is perfect and hunky dory. They have some some things to to get better at. And if I'm looking at it from the outside looking in, if I'm I'm trying to be unbiased here. I'd rather be Michigan than them. I'd rather be working on my pass game with the tools to improve it than working on my physicality, something that I haven't improved in a year. That's just me, Al Borges. Yeah, well, physicality starts day one. If you're in the eighth to ninth game and expecting your team to get physical just because you give a good pep talk, you're you're in trouble because that ain't going to happen. Physicality is something that's that's instilled from the first day you go to practice and is backed up by how you practice. And if you practice physical, because you can have lip service physicality. I, I hear that all the time. Oh, we're going to be tough and we're going to do this. No, that has to be backed up with how you practice, sometimes at the risk of injury. Uh, I hate to say it, but sometimes that's it. You got to give something to get something. And uh, it ain't going to happen in game eight or nine. All of a sudden, we're going to get tough. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so Al, let's uh, let's go ahead and get to your bitter and sweet, and then we'll segue into the grades and and get to the people's questions. So your bitter and sweet. Well, the bitter was eight for seventeen, one set one twenty nine for seventy six, seven point six an attempt. That's just not that ain't going to cut it. We got it. We got to throw the ball better now. Period. Uh, and it doesn't have to be three hundred yards a game, but it's it's got to be better than seven six an attempt. Uh, we should be throwing up the up around eight to nine, you know, those. So we know we're getting chunks with something other than our run game. Number two, wide receiver separation was not good in this game, particularly versus single coverage and particularly in the second half of the game. I think uh, the tight ends went through some growing pains blocking. Again, they didn't play with the guys that they're accustomed to playing with. And they were asked to do some things that guys had to do more than they'd done in other games. And there were some growing pains that went with that. They got to improve their vertical game, uh, some way, somehow. We got to hit some some deep balls, uh, just to, to so we can get the chunks. If nothing else, they're they're gaining the respect of the stretch, 
by throwing it, but but you just have to yield a chunk or two here and there. You don't have to hit them all, but you just got to hit enough to where uh, it affects you, you them defensively. Uh, the loss, as I mentioned, the loss of Luke Schoonmacher, I think, was a factor, a huge factor, maybe not, but I think it it didn't help J.J.'s confidence because there's five or six more completions in there that I think he would have had had he played and his numbers would have looked better, which, you know, does affect your confidence. So those were really the things that stood out to me the most. Uh, the good things, again, 264 yards pass in the offensive line, although instead to de- deal with some patchwork, did a nice job. Getting plays started, using good technique, Love the creativity in the run in the run scheme, particularly in attacking the three four front with the T bluff counter, which we're going to illustrate later, with the uh, power uh, tackle power, which we're going to look at later on, uh, the double insert zone. Again, these are all things that, that you got to watch the next show probably to know what I'm talking about. But uh, the variations of duos, variations of counter were really neat, and then the quarterback crack sweep uh, with JJ that scored a touchdown. I thought that was really cool, too. Uh, They threw three play-action passes. All three of them hit. Uh, That was definitely good. They had one penalty for 15 yards and possessed the ball 35 minutes and 32 seconds. That is, everything there is a formula for winning football games. Again, without being too redundant, I just think the passing game's got to improve. But uh, from a grade perspective, I gave the O-line a a B. uh, Twenty. I had them with 27 minuses, which is significantly down from other weeks. And again, there were a couple guys in there that haven't played as much. The tight ends, I gave the worst grade of the year. I gave them a C. I didn't think. And again, that's hard on them because, again, some of those guys were doing some stuff that they hadn't done a lot of. Okay, so just know there was some growing pains that went with that. Uh, the quarterback, I gave a C plus, B minus. Uh, I think he's played better. I think he's played worse. But again, I think he needs to get in a comfort zone with the passing game so that he can start feeling a little bit more and his grade will go to an A because he's certainly capable of that. Wide receivers, I gave a C minus. I think separation was bad. There was no creation of any real big plays other than a couple little deals, but nothing that would that was really significant. And the running backs, I gave an A A minus. Uh, Blake Corum was great, did a great job. Uh had what did he give uh he had uh, 100 and how many yards? I got that somewhere. Oh, uh, man. You, you, 160 you're, something yards. Yeah, I'll but, break up uh, the stats for you. Yeah, he was, he was really, really good. 162 yards at 5'8 a carry. I'll take that. Sam, you take that? I take that every day of the week. Yeah, I'll take that. He did that. And the other kids were solid, but he carried the load of it. He carried the bulk of it this week. A week ago, Donovan contributed with the same amount in total rushing, but. Uh, Blake did the bulk of it, and he was Blake. And as long as he got the ball under his arm, I'm feeling pretty good. So that's my bitters and sweets. That's my grades. Yeah, Heisman Trophy. One of the favorites for the Heisman Trophy. I don't see anyone out there with a better case than Blake. But again, you know who, who's the who's the one with the vote, right? Who's the one saying that is behind him? I admit to being a little biased here. Now it's time for the questions. Do you have questions for Al? Put them in the comment section right now. I'll get to as many as possible in the time that we have left. Let's just start off first with this one, Al. And it came a little bit earlier in the uh, uh, in the session here as I pull it up. It says, all right. All right, here we go. 
from Brian Reed. He says, are we waiting to unleash JJ? I know the run game is great right now, so why not run it? But how, however, why not run it? But however, we can afford to put, pre- but can we afford to put pressure on the quarterback in the, in the last minute? I think, uh, the oh, I think, yeah, I think I understand what he's asking. Is running the football not passing enough and then expecting him to throw it in the last minute of the game? That's what I'm guessing. I, I don't know if you got that out of it. Maybe, maybe I missed that read. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a good question. I think, again, distributing uh, and not without turning into a passing team because that's not really their culture, but to give him more opportunity to gain confidence so that when he does get into that late two minute situation, that he's feeling good about himself because. You know, usually you get into that at the end of the half or the end of the game. And if it's at the end of the game, then you know it's dicey, right? You're going fast. So we want him to get some passes thrown so he feels good about handling those situations. And I think more pass mix would be good, again, with with discretion. Yeah, they're giving him more shot plays, right? Uh, So there's that. But a couple of things, and he he did say this feels kind of brand new because they haven't done a whole lot of it so there is something to be said for the lack of repetition but they're working on that now mm-hmm. but there's the uh, the other piece there's there's jj on nakeds there's jj running the football you know these are things that i could i think you could make a case make an argument for they know that he's good on the move they jj was good at, they put him on the move last year as a true freshman mm-hmm. making decisions throwing the football so you got to believe they trust him doing that right you don't want to expose him to to injury, injury risk, and and you know he can run the ball, and so maybe there that's another thing that I could get into them maybe saving that a little bit for right here down the stretch, namely against Ohio. State. Well, the other thing too I think worth mentioning is JJ off improv in a passing game. In some of their better games, he has. It, for some reason, it shut down uh, downfield. He didn't see a throw he likes, or there was a protection breakdown, or whatever. That third play I always talk about in the passing game where the quarterback's forced to improv. He generally, if he throws enough passes, creates three to four improvs that get him first downs and keep drives going, or buys him a beat or two to make a throw after the fact that may not have been the structural, you know, structurally what you'd drawn originally. So I think there's something to that, too, is – is giving him chances to do his deal, you know, that go beyond what you draw on the board. All right, let's go back to it. Uh, here's one. All oh, the, the Nick says, where has Roman Wilson been since the beginning of the year? He barely plays. He was out there. Uh, this, is a, this is an interesting question, Al, because I can't remember which game it was, but you were like, man, Roman Wilson on their safeties is a, a great matchup. Yeah, you know, Roman Wilson. Yeah, Michigan State. Yeah. yeah, against Michigan State, right? We yeah. really didn't see that manifest uh, in that game. I, I think Michigan, they have good receivers across the board. But some are better at, at certain aspects than other uh, others. I think that Roman Wilson, in my opinion, is their best deep threat. That doesn't mean that other guys can't get deep. Uh, you know, we've seen in his career CJ get deep at times, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he got some separation on the four verts in, in the game against ne- Nebraska, right? Um, we've seen Andrell get deep at, at times, but I think Roman is the one who gets open deep the most consistently. He is the fastest of the bunch. Does that is that something that you as a play caller 
would you start sort of emphasizing roles? Would you maybe target him on vertical routes more? Or, mm-hmm. I mean, what do, what do you think about that idea? What do you I think? think I think there's, yeah, I think that's a good deal. I, it comes down to how much you want to use 11 personnel. Now, Michigan is not really an 11 personnel team. They, they have some 11 personnel. I shouldn't say that. They're not really a 10 personnel team. They're always going to have a tight end in there. And if you take, uh, if you're going to use Roman, they're using him in the slot or you take, Ronnie Bell out and put him at flanker, which that you can do that too. If you're trying to get something accomplished, you know, there's the, the rules, you can do whatever you want. Uh, the thing about Roman, uh, and again, I, I love the way he was used, particularly early in the year. He was used to match up inside safeties on, you know, your crash routes or your digs or whatever. We're going to tell a straight little play. He ran uh, the only catch he had in the game uh, later on in the next show, which I thought was kind of cool. And, Sam, he was huge in their run control bubble game early in the year. He was catching bubbles, getting on the flank, raising some hell. Occasionally, when he took off for a touchdown against somebody, I don't remember who it was. But that's where he really had become a huge factor. Now, they're not using near as much run control in terms of uh, using the bubbles and getting him the ball in those situations. Maybe that's something to consider, uh, too. Now, that again, that puts more into quarterbacks puts more on a quarterback's plate, but they have shown some efficiency at that, and it gets him another touch. And getting him another touch with a guy with that kind of speed, I think, is always a good thing. But I think those two things is get him in some matchups inside, uh, particularly a game like this last one where their safeties were covering the slot really the whole game, and maybe using a little more run control, knowing they're not going to give you that every single time, but they will occasionally. Yeah, it sort of gets in the next uh, follow-up. He said, I'm just scared about the deep ball threat for all this talent we have uh, at receiver. We haven't seen it. Uh, you know, again, same guys as last year. I just think the there there's a difference in in the way that they get those guys or they try to get those guys free. And, and maybe we're on the verge of seeing that. I mean, when you look at the last game and, and, and maybe they're – their reaction to it is the same as yours. I was like, man, Nebraska really covered the heck out of us. But, boy, we got guys not just open, wide open with play. I mean, there was no one in the frame on play action. I mean, every single time it was the – it was the I called it the post corner. Devin called it the over return to, to Ronnie in the first drive. There was no defender in the frame. The, the dagger wheel to Coast and Loveland. I know he made a great move to get inside – the defender and give him open. Yeah. He was but open. There was right. no one in the frame. And right. then, you know, you had Ronnie Bell wide. There was no one in the frame. No. That play action duo. So there was he- hell on that play. There was nobody in the zip code. I mean, he, he was so open. But again, I say the same thing. Just go like this right here, Sam, right in front of Blake Corum, right there. And a defensive team meeting will happen where you make that handoff. Just pull it out once in a while and they'll all run into each other. They look like Keystone cops. <laughs> right. So I got to believe, I got to believe that that's on the menu. If we don't see it against Illinois, I'm telling you, I think we'll see a heavy dose of play action against Ohio state period. Uh, and the run game is so good that saying that I still, I still don't think that that makes it so oh, Ohio state's going to, uh, they're going to be ready for it. No, 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 no. You, you got to sell out to stop Michigan's run game. And if they play action you and they can protect, you're in trouble. 
I, and I yeah. think that's any team they face, even if they know it's coming. But, uh, Al, how about this? Evan Corson asks, why does Michigan only take their shots on first and 10 and not second and, and third and short when they can push guys over for the first when it doesn't work? What do you think of that, Al? Do they always take them on first and 10? I, I mean, I don't have the stat. And you yeah, I want to make sure that's true now. If you're going to say that, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at when all the shots were taken. Now, he might be right. I, you know, I haven't even I, – I should have probably looked at that. There was a first and first and 10 and second and 10 sequence where they took shots. Yeah, so I, no, I, I don't know. I, he, he could be completely accurate. But um, when do you want to throw a play-action pass? Two, to me, two major things jump out. One is when the defense is most conscious of a run, right? Two is when you're running the ball well. That's two things. So if that's first and 10, and that, that's really a good time to throw a play-action pass because now you got two more downs to recover if you don't hit it, right? Or a second and medium. You know, when you're on schedule, you know, you, you gain five yards or more, four yards or more. And they still have to play the run in some way, shape, or form. Uh, that's always a good time to do it. But uh, you don't want to throw them all on first and ten. But first and ten is a very good time to throw a play action pass. But I think uh, there are other instances when you want to do it. So um, if that is a tendency, they probably need to look at that. But I think for the most part, I would not second guess any of the times they threw play action passes on first down. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on down the line. Here's another one. This one from John Walls. What's up with that moving the pocket or RPOs? Not many crossing routes. Play action. We talked about that. Were there any bingo crosses in this last game? So a lot there from John Walls. You know, I don't think there was a bingo cross in this game. That's interesting. I don't think there was a bingo cross. Yeah, and paying attention. Yeah. No, he, he, he is paying attention. That's a hell of a question. Uh, and when you consider they played so much cover one in the second half, that then, you know, bingo cross is built for that. So, no, I didn't see that. Uh, pocket movement, they did have some pocket movement with a couple nakeds, which was good, although I did not see a pure sprint pass in the game, which they usually do once or twice before it's over. And, again, we already talked about play action. But I think kind of mixing all that in there, John Walls, little here, little there, you know, and then uh, and mixed with your three-step and, and, and three-step game and your, and your pocket passes is your passing game. You don't want to do too much of any one thing, you know, but – uh, just have a nice mix and have the ability to get to the ball to a variety of receivers and have your receivers be able to play, do uh, serve their roles. If a guy is a deep threat, be able to use him deep. If he's a guy that's good on inside cuts to get first downs, give him every opportunity to do that. So that, that really is what your passing game is all about. What's your theory on the lack of RPOs? We know that last year that they that clearly – they they stayed away from our because it just wasn't an effective package as effective package as we anticipated it being for for JJ it wasn't as effective in package for for Cade what's your theory on why you know there isn't a preponderance of of RPOs now that JJ is under center a preponderance uh, you know, I've, I've been hanging around. You can't you. spell that. You can't say it. I've been hanging around you, Al <laughs> My My theory is that they, they don't want to put it on his plate. They, it, but RPOs are tedious for the quarterback now. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of coaching. It's worth it, I think, uh, if you don't abuse it. I think RPOs are use it, don't abuse it stuff. I've told coaches that because I've used them, and I loved them, and then sometimes I hated them. So I went back and forth. I had a love-hate relationship 
with RPOs, but they are a great way to attack loaded boxes. Now, but the to me, the answer to the question that's being asked is, I don't think Michigan wants to put a 15-play RPO menu in their game plan because they don't want to give the quarterback that kind of responsibility. They would rather hand the ball to Blake Corum, where there is no doubt where the ball's going and who's getting it, than run an RPO where damn near four or five different things could happen, okay? And uh, I think that's why they do it. Uh, they just, you know, checks and balances say, I don't want to deal with that, and what we're doing is working out pretty good, so... All right. Hey, so Jay Rome says, not in my lifetime. Didn't they go undefeated in 97, Sam? Sam, tell me you ain't that young. Jay, you got to listen. Listen. He's talking both years. To both years. Exactly. <laughs> I knew Give it out for you to stay in attention. Come on, Jay. Come on, man. Listen, listen, listen. All right. Uh, let's get to. When it comes to Michigan football, Sam is the key. <laughs> All right. Ty Lindsay. Ask Alan Sam, could the difference between play pass this year and last year be the fact that JJ is more likely to scramble if pressure comes as opposed to Cade, who would check it down? What do you think? Yeah, I think he is. I think, and that's not bad news as long as he's not denying throws. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, that's good news because you want a quarterback that can present that threat to the defense. He's just got to understand that he wants to give those things a chance before he goes into improv mode. Cade tended to cut, was not a big improv guy. He tended to cut the ball loose quickly to avoid sacks, okay? Not all the time, but on occasion, where this kid, I think, is a little more inclined to want to take that shot, knowing that he has a little more escape dimension if things get dicey. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next question. Here's another one that sort of picks up on uh, kind of a comparison, a comparative analysis that I know you haven't dove deep into but just anecdotally al travis foster he says the absence of fleet flickers and end around seems like they were gaddis staples what are your thoughts this sort of leans into that that comparison that we were talking about earlier in the show i think that yeah i think that those were gaddis staples i think uh what they're doing now they see a flea flicker as a once in a while play okay where gaddis saw that as a every game play okay uh, reverses, same thing. I think, I think God got near every game last year. There was a reverse. I mean, I'm, I mean, we, 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 we telestrated several different reverses. So do they run reverses? Yes, they do. Do they run them as often? No. And that's a reflection of play call. Is it right or wrong? You could, anybody could argue either way and either guy could make a case. So. All right. Here's one from Brian Reed. Is it crazy? I want to see Corum and Edwards on the field together. Let's say. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. I, I I I would love to see it. But I've got background in playing two halfbacks when I was at Auburn when we used Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams together. Uh, so I, I love that. It's not something that you want to do every snap because it doesn't fit because it just doesn't fit. Although Donovan Edwards has such good receiving skills he could be used probably more than one might think, but uh, it's a neat little package. You got to spend some time practicing it, and then you got to decide what you want to take out to make that work, and if it's worth it. That's that's really what I call the economy of offense. In the economy, are we going to run ten plays with those two in a game, or are we going to run three plays and do the rest of our stuff? 
You know what I mean? And That's is, where the, is the economy, is to make is the economy different in in college than than the pros? Is college? I, I don't think it's a lot different because you run more plays in college football than you do in in pro football. You know, uh, pro football the average amount of plays about 65, 66 plays in college football. Depending on how fast you want to go, it could be anywhere from you know seventy to eighty or plus or more than that. So. Yeah, you get you run more plays, gives you more opportunities to do more things if you want. Although you know you still got X amount of practice time. That's the thing, but you got to decide. That's where the coordinator makes the big bucks. Is is what is our menu going to be? And it better be geared to who the best players are using your weapons. Let's just say that using your weapons and then using the people around them to complement their weapons or decoy for your weapons or decoy with your weapons to get the ball to somebody else so where does that start and stop that's why we pay you big bucks figure that out all right mark says Devin talked about the problem being the receivers running the same route differently isn't that on the coaches to get the receivers running routes consistently he was comparing the go route that where andre was yep. to the sideline yeah. versus the one that cj ran where he kept the space between him in the sideline it wasn't a completion, but the route right. was run better by CJ. No, that was a that was an astute observation because I heard him talk about that, and it's true. Because, and it's hey, ultimately, it's always on the coaches. Let's be clear on that, okay? They got to make it work regardless of who's out there. But it does take some practice to throw to different people, okay? And it takes some practice to run the route right, okay? Like the one I think he was talking about. I think it was Andrell or somebody. I don't want to Andrell. pick on who it was got pinned into the sideline, okay? And you can't get pinned into the sideline. You have to have a buffer about five yards from the sideline. We, we call it the quarterback zone. We used to draw a line and practice uh, blue line just to show the receivers that they didn't want to get kicked into that area because it restricts the throwing space for the quarterback. Uh, but that's just one phase now. you got to also be able to gauge – the speed of the receivers, and you know, when you especially the downfield plays, like the the, the deep balls, the comebacks, you know, though you got to be able to, to gauge the speed of the receivers. They have to be uh, consistently locating themselves in a position where the quarterback can time the throw and doesn't have to hold it forever. You know what I'm saying, Sam? So yeah, ultimately it is the coach's responsibility to figure all that out. Now sometimes you do, and in a game it doesn't matter; they don't do it right anyway which I think probably happened a few times too, but uh, it is the coach's job to figure all that stuff out. I, I just, I, I continue to think it has as much to do with emphasis is, as anything. They were guys. I, I think certain guys are more adept at, at beating one-on-one coverage without the benefit of separation being created for them. Like on play action. Like I think Roman, can stack a DB, right? I said that the wrong way. I'm not saying that other guys can't stack a DB, but I think Roman is especially adept at it with his speed, right? I think yeah. CJ has some of that quality, but that when you when you throw play action in the mix, it's easier for guys who maybe aren't as aren't as fast or aren't as quick or it, it it becomes more common for guys. To yeah, it clears a lot of things up. Yeah. Clears a lot of things up. And I think I think a lot of things got cleared up for the for the wide receivers as a whole because of the amount of play pass that they threw last year. And it's mm-hmm. why I think they'll get they'll get back to that. They're still they're just effective in a different kind of way. 
it's yeah. just it's still a factor. It's just a different kind of way this year. There, they, but it, that's why I'm so optimistic about they're still they can still make up this ground that they need to make up to be a champion mm-hmm. national championship team, in my opinion. Yeah, every receiver has a strength, and a quarterback, I promise you, knows it. Okay, but that doesn't mean that he isn't obliged to do some of the other stuff. You know what I'm saying? You may have a guy who is purely a deep threat. Okay, he can get by people. You know it get by people, and he is the go-to guy when you need to do that. That doesn't mean the other receiver doesn't have to get good at that because there may be instances where they're not giving you that guy, okay? So you usually have a receiver on your team that's better on inside-breaking cuts, you know, third down, you know what I'm saying, or shallow crosses. And when you game plan, you lean in that direction to give him chances to do that more. That doesn't mean that the other receivers don't practice shallow crosses and digs. Everybody does it. But the quarterback will feature the guy knowing his strengths more often than not. If you get a 50-50 ball, if that's your, the kind of team you are, he'll know who the best 50-50 guy is. And if it's a, a push when he looks out there and both corners are pressing, he's going to know which guy gives him the best chance to complete that pass. So everybody has to have a role, but you still can't just, you can't, can't just assume that you can't learn the entire package of playing receiver. All right, we, any sense yeah, at all. Yeah, we're up against it time-wise, so I'll try to get one or two more in. I apologize that I can't get to everyone. Uh, but here's one that I think is – it gets to a question that I've seen a lot of folks have. Is K last year ahead of JJ this year in passing? I, I think maybe they mean at this point in his progression – do you feel K last year at this point is ahead of where JJ is at the same point in this season? I would I don't see any real discernible difference. I just think both of them have different skill sets. Passing wise. Yeah. I guess I don't, I don't see any real discern. I think the one kid is a more gifted passer and that's JJ. Okay. Cade was more of a self-made football player who was systematically pretty sound and could do some good stuff. But in terms of their, their passing ability, I don't know, you know, I, I again, if, if you're just going to take it and didn't know anything, you would take J.J. as the pure passer because I think he's a more talented guy. But Cade certainly brought something to the table. Yeah, no doubt. All right, folks, we're going to have to cut it there because we're already over an hour on the breakdown. Uh, you know, Al could talk for 10 more, trust me. <laughs> I've been, I've sat with him for that long. We were watching plays last night. We've been in the, I swear, we've been sitting in front of the, the breakdown screen watching the film for six hours. He said, let's, okay, let's go back over the whole offense. Like, ow, I got to go home at some point. Come on, man. No, you don't, Sam. We had work to do. Now, you know, either you want to do it or you don't want to do it. You want to you whine? You can whine if you want, but we had stuff to do. And so let's go back over the whole thing again. Well, you after okay. about the 12th time you nodded off, I just said, oh, go ahead, push it to play number 72. Well, let's get this done since you can't handle it anymore. Yeah. All right, folks. But hey, we put in the work. We put in the work for you, the people. So there are ways in which you can make sure that we can keep doing this. Keep keep coming up with these breakdowns. You can like the video. You can subscribe to the channel. That way you'll know every time we add another video for you to go watch. Right. The other thing that you can do if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can do the same thing there on any of the podcast channels. Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it, like and subscribe there but the best way to get us the best way to support the show to support us the michiganinsider.com 
that is where it all goes down. All the football, the basketball, the recruiting, the team coverage, second to none. All of our written content, in addition to all the videos and podcasts, can be found there. One dollar will get you in your membership for the first month. All the VIP intel on the message boards. It also gets you access to all of the sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. So you can get the intel on the Buckeyes, too, if you want it, right? And then once you become a full-paying member after a month and you will get hooked, your subscription will also include Paramount+. Plus. It is great bang for your buck. So now it's the time to get in over at the MichiganInsider.com. Care to tell them about Deny of the Tiger, Mr. Deny the Tiger. All you Michigan fans, uh, this is a great football book. Now, you guys all say you're, you're football junkies. This is a football junkies book. It's about the Auburn Tigers of 2004 National Championship. Denied the National Championship. It's been out for a few weeks, but I think you'll love it because there are some Michigan references in there. And Lloyd Carr recommended it, as did Dick Vermeil. So um, I think it's very entertaining. Get it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon and leave a review uh, after you read it, okay? Take the coach out of the game, but not the game out of the coach. That's, I think, a fitting way to sign off with my guy Al Borges. Uh, Someone was asking, Telestrator, and I mean, we do the film breakdown after we do this session with you guys. So be on the lookout for the film breakdown later. Devin's his film breakdown is about to go up early this afternoon and don't forget we have the live session with Vance Bedford breaking down the defense at 4 30 eastern so be sure to tune in for that until then folks thanks for watching another edition of the Michigan football breakdown focused on the offense with Al Borges go blue